It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening, odds are you're a fan of the universe George Lucas created. I am too. I love Star Wars and have been desperate to tell my own Star Wars story. But I always wanted a story that was more focused on the struggles on the front lines and less about the machinations of the Senate. A boots-on-the-ground story about the millions of people desperate to survive the horrors of galactic war. That is what Mud 79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 26, A Legionary Champion. For the first time since landing at Floon Bay, Solomon Kwai spends time with his company, He watches Murray get eliminated and even joins in a workout with the rest of the team. On the fourth day of the tournament, he watches the matches from the stands with his fellow mutters, while Sergeant Hefspar enters the ring with a hulking Verk bouncer Kwai and Murray recognize from a former visit to the big city. But how will Husto fare on the final day? What's in store for Kwai at his medal ceremony? And what's been happening back at the hotel while the 20th Company's fighters have been absent? Let's find out. I woke up in a panic. Looked at my bracelet and it was almost 10 hundred hours. The room was still quiet. Those who were awake were just scrolling through muted feeds on their bracelets, reading hollows on the net about the previous day's fights. The officials still hadn't released the schedule for the final day, but we were confident that Husto would square off with that corporal from the 18th. They were both human, and that way they'd be guaranteed to have a human or human-like species in the final, which is what the brass in the core systems would want. Husto was prepared for everyone, though. He'd been studying tape with Hefspar and the Skip, pointing things out, bad habits, their strengths. He was very calm about it. Made me wonder what it would take to rattle a guy like that. I dragged myself into the showers and just stood under the water, instinctively started doing a search for vamp slugs and had gone over a good chunk of my body before I realized there was no need. Then I just stood under the water, taking it in for a second before heading back out to my locker. Was throwing on the team dress when my bracelet went off. Captain Minnie was gonna be by within the hour. Another stop was lined up for me before the opening ceremony, meeting with a bunch of raw raw recruits, the kind that had only been in gray for a week or less. I wouldn't be alone either. They wanted a few other medal recipients with me, locals, ones who were scheduled to be part of the meddling ceremony to open the fights that night. I threw on my combats and sat down for breakfast with everyone else. They really did ensure we had good food. Raw fruits, vegetables, plenty. No ration packs anywhere. Just the good stuff. Real food. So, where are they taking you today? I sighed. This whole trip was very different than what I expected. I had assumed we'd be given leave, visit this city, see the sights and get smashed, but that wasn't in the cards. 
there were worries that rivalries could flare up and it would lead to a scene out in the streets, making it difficult to keep quiet. There had already been a few fights among the troopers who were in town to spectate, and the idea of having the actual fighters on the loose wasn't something anyone in the officer's mess felt comfortable with. I told Murray I'd see him at the fights. Then he followed me outside for a stick before my ride showed up. They really pulled out all the stops for you, huh? You know how much a speeder like that would cost on the open market? Probably tracked down a refurbished saber for less. I tossed him my pack of sticks. Then said I'd steal him some of the fancy officer tobacco before I was done. Then I got on board for more bullshit. Minnie was in there along with three others, two Twi'lek and a Miri Allen. The Twi'lek were both male. One, the green one, was all smiles, already in a conversation with Minnie. The other, with a more yellow complexion, wasn't saying much at all. Why, good to see you. I've got your bean coffee, should be just the way you take it. It was. That first sip. Whatever brand they served the senior officers was a far cry above what we got. Even the stuff in the local cafes couldn't really touch it. It was creamy, smooth, and didn't leave that assy aftertaste you'd get from the cheap shit. I sat my ass down next to the Miri Allen. She had this bluish-purple hue, big eyes, bright. She'd been looking out the window, but turned her head and sized me up. She slid me a quick glance, but I could see her brain working as she spoke. This one? She was a survivor. I put out my hand and introduced myself. I know who you are, Corporal. We've all seen the hollows. Congratulations on your medal. I asked what she was getting, where she was, all that stuff. Just trying to talk shop with another mutter. I was with the 11th Company when we hit a raider depot in the eastern hills of Norse Wood, about 200 clicks outside of Gita. Our platoon was executing a cloverleaf on what we thought was just another storage shack, but it turned out to be hiding an access point to some tunnel network. We got into detail about the new phase of combat and the constant fighting in and around the tunnels. She'd already done her mole training out in the Echoes, and we touched on that before she got back into the dope. So we were fighting back some really well-equipped seshers. They were burning through plasma. It was so bright you needed to keep your goggles on. Then we got attacked by an enemy squad at our rear. Didn't see them coming, and they chewed us up trying to make an exit for the guys we had held down in our shack. I dragged a few of my squad mates out to our fallback point. Got the Meridos service medal with two bars. They awarded me a marksmanship accommodation as well. I had a kill at 300 meters. Clean. She smiled when she mentioned the headshot. Smirk. I loved it. She'd fit right in with Mondi and me. That girl was a killer. We stopped at a rec center near the civilian part of the base. All four of us leaving the back of the Seraph and following Captain Minnie inside. There was a podium with a mic and a row of chairs in the front. And seated out in front of us, on the floor, no different than the school children a few days earlier, were more than 400 recruits. They looked young. Such fresh faces. Even the hardest out of them still had a spark. But their training officers stepped to the mic, advised them to listen closely to everything we said. We four were true heroes of the Empire. What we said could save their lives. These were the exact same things I heard when I was at basic training when some dickhead I'd never remember rolled through the base like they were someone important. The whole situation made me regret my youthful ignorance, even though it was only two years beforehand. 
All four of us told our stories, why we joined, where we were from, our combat designations, all the usual stuff. The one yellow Twilik was actually up for a few medals. He saved the life of his platoon commander and managed to take four prisoners in the same enemy encounter. Earned himself the Coruscant Starburst. It was a step above the Merit of Service medal. And you could hear in the guy's voice he did not enjoy talking about it. When the recruits were able to ask questions, he had a series of near one-word responses. Follow your orders. Listen to your sergeants. Don't fall out of line. You know, the cliche responses one expects when someone's trying to avoid talking. When my time came, I was prompted to explain why I'd won the Order of Palpatine. Recount everything from the raid at Vibus. So I did. Again. And I was sure to include the details of how Colonel Gast had been on the radio the entire time. Hold them down! Behind that berm! Focus your fire! I also explained how it's easier to be brave in the field when everyone trusts each other. That you need to let go of any animosity and ensure the trooper next to you knows you'll be there. The questions I was asked by the recruits were similar to the others, and I also leaned in on the importance of listening to your sergeants. It was funny. That was the exact thing the LT told us on our very first flyout, and it was still something I firmly believed. Listen to your sergeants, and you'll be fine. We wrapped, and the four of us waved goodbye as Captain Minnie led us back to the speeder. We were there over two hours, and I don't think Minnie expected it to take that long, because she was pretty stressed out about getting us to the tailor. The others needed the final fitting for their dress uniforms, which they'd be wearing on stage during the ceremony. I was the lucky one. No standing on a hover platform, getting poked and prodded and measured. I got to sit outside on a bench, smoking sticks, drinking coffee. Easily one of the quietest and most relaxing hours since getting there. There was plenty of air traffic, civilian freighters, transports, military shuttlecraft coming down in the Imperial Yards, and every so often, a platoon of mutters marching past while their sergeants tore a strip off. In the field, the NCOs were a lot nicer. They had an enemy to treat us like garbage for them. They're just about done, Solomon. You want to suit up so we can all make for the ceremony? I flicked my half-done stick into the receptacle and went inside. The dress uniform felt stiff on my skin. One week from the hotel and I was already getting soft. I reminded myself how much better this was than wearing rash-inducing IRDs. I took a quick once-over in the mirror, a look at my medals, the way they glimmered in the light, contrasting the dark fabric of the uniform. It really did come together nicely made me look good. The other three troopers were all kitted out, too. Minnie had a big grin. You four look perfect. Just perfect. She led us back to the speeder, which took us to the shuttle pool where we hopped onto a similar transport that flew us over to the swoop bike grandstands. Security there was a bit more intense than the previous evening. Had some ATST walkers patrolling the outer perimeter and fixed positions outside of the gates. Buckets, too. Always buckets. They were already harassing anyone who was getting too close to secure areas. Let me see your identification. 
We came down on a specially designated landing pad and were brought inside. Followed Minnie through a few back tunnels and she met up with some of the technical crew. Then we proceeded to the ring itself, the epicenter of everything, the echo. So surreal, cameras all over. This was the type of event you'd see in recruitment videos and the pro-imperial hollow reels for years to come. We went over our positions and where we'd stand during the medal ceremony. Pretty simple affair. Just march out to the ring and stand in the center. There were marks on the ground for us to follow since the lights would be dimmed as we made our way up. Then when they came back on, the four of us would be standing together, each facing a different direction, our backs facing each other while we eyed the crowd. Some symbolic gesture of how the Empire never turns its back on those it defends. The rehearsal was painless. When it was done, Minnie gave us leave to relax in the VIP lounge and get something to eat. The lounge had a prized view of the crowds coming in. You were up high, at least 10, 15 stories, and could see most of the main plaza past the front gates. Crowds were milling around stalls, selling more knockoff merchandise, pictures of the fighters emblazoned on flags, company insignia. I figured the Empire was taking a cut of this stuff even though the fighters would never see a dime. There were full-on bars set up, brothels too, beneath the tents. Vara, the Mary Allen, was pointing them out. She was from Halfaken Bay, just outside Iptisbet, the largest city on the planet. She knew all the dirt. The criminal syndicates who ran things, The ones who survived by flipping on their former trade partners. How the Empire had really shook things up. And for plenty of people on the bottom, who had their concerns fall on deaf ears in the big cities for decades, the arrival of the Empire solved a lot of problems. Her village had constant issues with raiders, even lost people to slavers. And despite the constant pleas and occasional bribes, no one in Iptis Bay lifted a finger. But all that ended when the first Imperial patrols began a few years ago. That's when she decided to put on the uniform. We picked away at the snack trays until the senior officers started making their way in. They all seemed to be in great spirits, but I wanted to draw as little attention to myself as possible. And I also didn't want to spill anything on my fresh clothes. I could just imagine how much shit I'd be in if I was standing on stage in front of the entire hollow net with a big smear of Jabu sweet sauce running down my chest. Not a good look. Instead, I stuck with Vera shaking hands with the officers who came in, attempting but failing to remember any names. I saw some familiar faces from my drunken evening the night this all began, including that one colonel who'd been bad-mouthing clones. I stayed away from her. Didn't want to remind a senior officer of my inability to shut my mouth around my betters. Solomon, my boy, good to see you. General Vasek had gotten behind me. I didn't even see the guy come in. Sir. Vera stood at attention, and I did too, if only because she did. Relax, both of you. That's not the way things work here. You're our guests. You've paid admission with blood. So put protocol aside. Just enjoy yourselves. I'll get one of the servers to bring you both a drink. I responded by asking for a double veteran smash. Vasek grew a big smile when I said that. Keep ordering drinks like that, and you'll find yourself getting a field commission. 
He waved his server over and had drinks in our hands less than a minute later. It's all in who you know, I guess. The general spoke with us for a few minutes. He didn't say much, just asked a lot of questions. Real technical stuff. The nature of my company's mission in and around the Green Death and how it compared to where Vera's company was faring further in the south. He eventually left, had to go shake hands of greater import. I finished my drink and went back to the bar for another. Grabbed one for Vera too. Came back and she was already talking with some well-dressed civilian leaders. They were all from a local transport company commented how much safer the interplanetary spaceways were now. Running cargo to the spaceport in orbit was seamless. You could make the whole run on autopilot. No fear of pirates or slavers. They were still talking when a page came and rounded us up. The opening ceremony was about to start. The page led us to an elevator that went down to the main floor. And then we stood at a curtained gateway. You could see through the cracks and get a look at the crowd. Let's go, 18. It was packed. As many as the day before, maybe more. Troopers, you're all looking spectacular. A testament to the Imperial Army. The Commodore was right behind us with his collection of bodyguards. He shook our hands, and that shadowed chill came over me again. Remember, when you're out there tonight, you are the Empire. Do you understand? You are the spectacle. You are the grandeur we mean to bring to this part of the galaxy. Stand proud and tall. No emotion. No waver. Be stoned. The way he said that last word... He took on the form himself. The lights dimmed, and the page who let us down was now directing us out to the darkened arena. The crowd still mumbling in deafening volume, wondering what was about to happen. We took quick steps and rushed into the center of the ring, then assumed the positions from rehearsal. My eyes were adjusting to the dark. And when the lights beamed down on us, the whole ring was bathed in a dim blue light as the screens above us came to life. Light and noise slammed into me like an artillery barrage. Light and noise slammed into me like an artillery barrage. I was just a kid. We were attacked by the Trade Federation during the beginnings of the Clone Wars. Putting on the uniform was one of the most important things I've ever done. That was me. This was stuff we just filmed. It was a group of slavers. My mother told us to hide in the root cellar behind some barrels. We lost everything. Because my father had a falling out with a corrupt official on the Republic Agriculture Board. They took our home, they put us out on the street, all because we couldn't afford a kickback. They cobbled together this weird biographical hollow. I wanted to look up, but couldn't. I was stoned, remember? But there was a familiar voice on there. Of course I'm proud to have so much family serve the Empire. How could I not be? My son, he could have been a pro-Limey player, but instead, he chose a more noble path. That was my dad. But he hated the idea of me being in uniform. One of the reasons I was drunk with my friends when I signed up is because it was the only way I had the courage to put my name on the line. And there was no way he thought I had what it took to go pro at Limmy. It was disconcerting. I was eager to watch the hollow on my own when I was off stage. But I stood there, 
like Stone, for just shy of 10 minutes as the video went on, recreating our individual stories. What we've done, where we train, some casual soldiering humor for the gathered crowd. And that's when I learned the importance of carrying extra socks. The spotlight's shifting focus to each of us in due time, then back to the four of us in the center. And to present the medals personally, please welcome Commodore Pana Maldives. The crowd cheered as the commander made his way into the ring. Thank you, citizens of the Empire. Your hospitality has been most appreciated. But don't applaud for me. It's these fine young troopers who deserve your respect. He led another round of applause as he paced back and forth. The light caught his facial implants and reflected them right into my eye. He circled like a loft cat playing with its food. He stopped in front of each of us, recounting again what we'd done to deserve our medals, offering details from a command perspective, including intelligence-acquired tidbits that none of us had ever heard before, how what we'd done had affected things at a global level, a system level, making waves throughout the cluster of planetary systems. The way he spoke, you wanted to believe. I let myself buy in while I was on stage, forgot about the hollow with my father. I just wanted to be part of the fantasy he was painting, even though it felt more hollow with every word. He'd motion his hand and as if appearing out of the dark, one of the pages would give him a case with medals and he'd clip them onto our dress uniforms. I was last, and when he stood in front of me, he just stared. I wasn't making eye contact. And it wasn't because I was stoned, it was because I was terrified. He was no doubt scanning me with that eye, making notes about how I was reacting. Then he turned to the crowd and continued. It was a year ago that the overall nature of our mission here in the Seston system changed dramatically, or rather was revealed in its brutal truth. The 934 Legion spearheaded a major offensive against the loyalist stronghold of Domju. But as we are all aware, it was a trap. A well-coordinated conspiracy made possible by multiple breaches within the Imperial Command structure. He paused, then continued his pacing in the ring. The deathly presence was in plain sight. The spotlights showing it to everyone there. But those weak links have been sought out. They have been destroyed. And were it not for soldiers like Corporal Solomon Kwai, those traitors may have succeeded in undoing everything we fought so hard for, what we bled for. He was back in front of me, staring at me, while I looked out in inky blackness. Corporal Kwai was still recovering from injuries sustained during a previous mission, so when his unit left for the Domju offensive, he stayed behind. But despite his injured status, he helped turn back an assault and secured the munition stores at the camp's heavy weapons firing range, then brought down two enemy freighters. He put his hand out. The page was there again, handing him the metal cases. Three, one of them far more ornate than the others. He clipped on the bar for my Meritus service medal. He and one of his squad mates sprinted across a frozen river, dodging enemy fire from an Arc-170 fighter craft, which Corporal Kwai also destroyed with an RPS-8 rocket launcher. And was that all? No. He answered his commanding officer's call for support in a desperate last stand at the main admin building. Then he pinned on the bravery in the third medal handing its case back to the page. Rallying and organizing every soldier he met along the way, he refused to surrender, 
that is what it means to wear the uniform of the Imperial Army. No matter the odds or personal cost, we answer. He looked down at the third case, the more decorated one, lined with silvery metal that caught the light. One flick of his finger near the bottom, it sprang open. The Order of Palpatine is among the highest honors a soldier in Imperial service can ever hope to attain. It is given to those who have shown unyielding bravery, loyalty, and commitment to duty. And it does me great honor to award it here, in front of the Emperor's most loyal subjects, a soldier deserving of nothing short of our highest decorations. I salute you, Corporal. He clipped it onto my chest and saluted. Textbook sharp movements. His salute was an attack. I did the same, or tried. We stood there facing each other, holding the salute as the crowd applauded. I expected a final word, but no. The lights went out as we stood there. Some symbolic moment, I suppose. Then the page grabbed my arm started guiding me out while I stared blind into the darkness. Only took a minute, and I was back in the officer's lounge, checking myself out in the mirror behind the bar. Three medals, all of them combat-related. Everyone there knew who I was. Until those fights kicked off, I was the star. I was staring at myself, half-posing, and sipping another veteran smash. I figured this would be my last chance to have anything this fancy for a while. Even investigated the ingredients to make these things. And for just one veteran smash, a single, not even a double, I could buy eight bottles of Kang Tree easy. So I opted to make my time in the booth count. The opening fights were local fighters, not even part of the tournament. They were just there to get the crowd going. Amateurs who, when interviewed after their wins or losses, said that Imperial service was definitely part of their future plans. I kept tabs on what was happening, but didn't really care. The real fights, those were what mattered. Pusto could be getting the entire company paid an extra hundred credits. That was a big deal. What's he even doing in there? What's happening? And four drinks later, the show lights were flying around the crowds. Camera drones all lit up. This shit was on. The announcers were firing everyone up too, as the first fighters were on their way in. And our favorite asshole medic was one of them. Making his way into the ring once again after that legendary performance two days ago, Sergeant Sildaco Husto. Man, just look at that walk. He's loose. The day off did him good. Can't wait to see what he pulls off in there tonight. Husto was the first in the ring. He was light, bouncing around, but he wasn't joking, not jovial at all. There was no sarcastic, cocky demeanor this time. He was there to win eyeing up his opponent, Corporal Kelvin March of the 18th Company. I knew the 18th were stationed pretty close to us in the foothills. They were in the thick of it. Even if the guy was standing in the way of my bonus credits, I still had a soft spot for anyone chewing the same dirt I was. He had a decimeter or two on Husto and a few more kilos of muscle, but I was full of boozy bravado. My guy was going to win. I knew it. And when the bell rang, Husto let the bigger fighter do the work. Slipping past punches, countering knees and elbows. He was getting hit, sure, but nothing to wreck. All glancing blows sliding off his arms and legs. He really did make it look like a dancing man. In the second round, he went for the kill. Just over a minute it ticked by and he got inside and clinched. 
pulling the corporal in close and driving his knee up a few times. The fourth making clean contact with his opponent's face. The angle of the hollow drone showed the guy's jaw shatter, buckling over and inward. He slumped forward on the mat and just bled. Husto backed away, knowing it was over, but he stayed in the ring, making sure March was okay. That's it. Shouting out medical advice. The announcer called the fight and Husto left like it wasn't a big deal. His mind was already on the final. There was a gap between the fights, and the screens in the center played more of the mini-documentary stuff me and the other medal winners had been shooting the previous days. Essentially, long-format recruitment videos. I later found out they had recruitment stations set up at the entranceways to the event. There were people that signed up afterwards thinking they'd get to go home and then head back when they got the call. Now, once your name was on that form, you were an Imperial asset. You got thrown into a hauler and taken off to training, which was just down the street. It's pretty awkward seeing yourself up there, isn't it? Vara, the Miri Allen scout, a fellow medal winner. They had me go on about a counter-assault so many times. It's like, I know what you're doing. You want some local to win a medal to get more of us to join you. I'm not done. She was getting to that point where you're drunk enough to not even bother with the ruse anymore. Composure giving way to belligerence. I leaned over and whispered in her ear that she needed to cool it. This wasn't the crowd. They weren't like us. They didn't get our kind. And talk like that made them realize how useless they all were which made them more likely to punish us. I handed her a stick and suggested we head out to the balcony. She followed and there were a few others out there taking in the sights, basking in the view that money and rank can provide. We could see all the way past the edges of the city, the night sky illuminating the plain and scrub in the distance fading into nothing as the planetary curve slipped away. It was beautiful. And that wind gave everything such a fresh feeling. I asked the server for two waters. Oh, are you my nurse now, Kwai? She was like Staven, only a worse drunk. I told her I wasn't a nurse, but I didn't want her getting me into trouble. This was purely self-preservation on my part. To change the subject, I asked her what type of rifle she used, which sparked a long-winded conversation, which was still ongoing when the second fight began. The Verk and the half-twillic sergeant from the 41st. There were hollow screens out on the balcony, but they were small. This was where people came to take a break, and by the smell, sneak a few pulls of gem flower, or bumps of bith dust. I stick with the E-11s, but I have a scope from a Vulcan 38. The slide on the zoom? Incredible. Seamless. I hook it up to my bracelet to track targets in the field of view. It drains the charge on the core, but I can pop it off and track as many as 10 sessions each clip. I was impressed. Very unique bit of jerry-rigging. I told her I wanted those mods explained how I worked in the armory as secondary duty and how much I loved it. I went on about that DC-15 I'd salvaged a few months back, emphasizing it was the blaster rifle and not the carbine, and how I had that thing so overcharged it could rip through ship plating. A DC-15? Where did you find that? When I mentioned the cloner, she got weirded out. Were they wearing super crazy armor, all painted and shit? I nodded. We seen them too. Twice. Each time there'd be a call into orbit. White coat officers everywhere, interrogating everyone. You ever tangle with those assholes? White coats? I nodded again, taking a deep breath, giving a sigh. You get it then. She took another pull of her stick. 
think I'd get in shit if I just took off? I shook my head and looked over with a grin. What are they gonna do to you? Look in the mirror. With that uniform, you've got more clout than any officer in here. Just leave. She didn't smile, but nodded and asked for another stick before downing the water. Congrats, Corporal. We all read about that stuff at Vibus. Just glad you're not an asshole. And she rolled out. I watched her go, finishing my stick and looking up at the sky. A pair of very well-dressed Twi'lek came over and started talking to me about my medals. They were really nice, but they had heavy accents and it was difficult for me to understand. I waited for my moment to duck out and then headed inside to grab another drink. The second fight was over. The next batch of hollows were running in anticipation of the final match. You know who won. The Verk. Private Karvoth Jabbar. He'd be facing off against our very own Sergeant Sildalko Gusto. The lounge had an array of hollow projectors to watch the fight from nearly every angle. And most of the larger tables were equipped with emitters, creating a near real-time 3D projection of the fight in miniature. Do you need a drink? Most of the people in there weren't even watching the fighters enter. They were entertaining one another, bracing palms. It was almost insulting. Again, we were bleeding, and they didn't even have the nerve to watch. The Verk entered first, a slow, plodding gait, shaking his arms, massive cords of muscle coating each limb. He'd taken a pounding from that half twilla, and the entire right side of his torso was bruised black. He looked like he should have been stiff, almost broken, but there he was, a wave of torment heading into the ring. Then came Husta, the opposite, so light. Again, that hopping dance as he came in. Let's go! Let's do this! He was smiling and waving to the crowd, not an ounce of fear. They would show flickers of the Verk on the screen. He was watching Husta come closer. It looked like he was about to feed even when Husto got in the ring, he was all smiles, dancing his way up to his opponent and reaching out to shake hands. The size difference between these two was amazing. Husto weighed as much as one of this guy's legs. That's a slight exaggeration, but I'm trying to build suspense here. Each fighter returned to their corner and spoke with their trainers as they were heading down the steps. The fighters were alone, and the crowd was deafening, drowning out all the petty conversations surrounding them. Go back to Coruscant! the bell rang, it only got louder. Husto closed quickly, chin low, hands poised, rear heel up. He was wound like a spring, ready to go. The bouncer threw his fists, two sweeping hooks, and they missed by a hair. The medic slipping past with a lightning fast snap kick to his opponent's knee. He threw a quick combination with his hands, and the Verk didn't even flinch as Husto's knuckles dug into his side. The larger fighter reached out faster than the sergeant expected. He had a grip and in one motion, slammed Husto to the ground hard. He didn't let up either. One thunderous punch after another, and the medic slipping as best he could. But there were some clean hits. And he was stuck there in the vice grip, unable to move, eating shots. I looked to another screen for a different angle, and you could see his face wince with each impact. But he was protecting himself, and once he twisted his way around, which felt like way too long, he drove his heel up with force, and it hit square in the Verk's face. His face bent in on impact, and he staggered back. Husto rolled to the side and 
Then, without even being back on his feet, he lunged at the larger fighter. The Verk swung with a wild right hand, and Husto dropped and rolled past it, getting almost to the bouncer's rear, and then through a simple three-punch combination, each one landing where the massive bruises were. And he put some heat on them, because with that third impact, a very tight left hook, the Verk's eyes went wide. He reached for Husto again, but the medical's gone, still dancing. The crowd loved him for it. The hometown favorite was still the hometown favorite. But when a guy half his size was taking shots and still throwing his own, you needed to cheer. It was incredible. They were about to get close again when the bell rang. Husto was still grinning when talking to the skip. She wasn't, though. You could see some clear signs of distress, the way she was nodding her head. But she was more concerned with his bleeding. That stint he'd spent on the ground left him with a few cuts. One near the right eye was starting to bleed. It could wind up being a big problem. And when the bell rang again, the first thing the bouncer did was try to open it up. Jab after jab. He was just keeping Husto away. That's really all he needed to do. No effort to close. He was just using his reach. It was a solid 30 seconds of poking. It was costing our medic the crowd. Husto played it smart, though. He let the Verk walk him back. And then when it looked like he'd be closed off in the corner, he sprang forward with a few kicks. Before again, rolling past and then digging into the Verk's side. This time he finished with a deadly fast snap kick that hit clean on the bouncer's ribs. If he didn't have broken bones before, he did now. That second foot landed. The bouncer choked and spat out blood. A stifled grunt from the pain. He turned and launched into an all-out assault. Not a sloppy barrage of wild swings either. He was smart, throwing short, snappy punches and combinations, trying to keep Husto away and still do damage. It was effective. And the cut on the medic's forehead was really gushing. The rough knuckles of the Verk were digging in every time they made contact. The round was close to done, too. Less than 30 seconds left. The Verk threw a straight right cross, finishing off a four-punch combination. And Husto latched onto his wrist and swung his leg over the bouncer's upper arm. He mounted the Verk's arm and wrapped on so fast his opponent didn't react quickly enough. He went from trying to shake him off to just beating on him. But the awkward weight of a full human on his arm threw his poise off. And then I looked more closely at what Fusto was doing rather than the beating he was taking. Every muscle was tensed. And then he broke the Verk's arm, like snapped it just above the elbow. He flailed back as the arm went limp, hitting the ground hard and rolling away. The Verk fell to his knees and was growling through gritted teeth, a constrained wail. I saw someone in the room throw up. You just weren't expecting someone's arm to bend like that. What a finish! You said it. I haven't seen anything like that in a very long time. General Vasek was laughing loud enough for the entire lounge to hear. The Commodore, not so much. They'd made quite the bet, apparently. More than 10,000 credits. The pair of them began making their way down to present Husto with his trophy. Close off the night with as much official military pomp as they could muster. The Verk was doped on pain meds and heading to the medics when the Commodore and the General walked past and spoke with him. 
the Commodore in particular, giving him some kind words. His genial manner, well documented for the Holonac. Here was a commander who genuinely cared about those under his banner. Of course it was genuine. None of this was for show. The skip was already in the ring when Vasek and the Commodore came up the steps. More smiles, more shaking hands. The trophy was awarded, and Gusto's arm was held high. Yeah, that's my guy! They waved the rest of the team up to join in as well. Hollow drones zipping about, capturing the entire scene for everyone unable to attend. The 20th company had won. My company. I took a deep breath, a sigh, and release. Tilted my glass that last time, and then put it down at the bar. What happens now that the tournament is done? Is there a chance Kwai's mouth got him into trouble? And what awaits the 20th Company's fighters when they return to the hotel? That's next time on Episode 27. You'll never be lost. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.